This is Mike Stibbs with the Camp Herman podcast. This week, we're releasing a members-only podcast to everybody with author Max Sternberg. He has an amazing new book series out, and he's going to share the inspiration behind it. Let's go. And my eyes were, for lack of a better term, opened to the spiritual warfare that is going on at a daily basis. And things just started connecting more and more. What was interesting to me personally is that this all tied in perfectly with any of the plot holes that I had in the stories that I was writing. When it comes to this dark shadow, shadow person demon who was hovering over my bed, Many millennia ago, at the peak of Mount Hermon in the Golan Heights, a group of divine beings known as the Watchers, or Sons of God, descended in an act of rebellion against their king, Yahweh. By teaching them the secret knowledge of the cosmos, they sought to wrestle dominion of the earth away from humanity. They bore children with them, and their offspring were both human and divine. These giants are the demigods of old, and the events that transpired would forever alter the course of human history. At Camp Herman, we discuss the oddities of the ancient world and their lingering impact on our world today. Welcome. Hey campers, welcome back to Camp Herman. My name is Chris Price and I'm joined by my co-host, Tori Peterson. And tonight we are chatting with author Max Sternberg. Hey Max, testify. I guess it makes sense to kind of start at the beginning. So in the beginning, uh, God created the heavens and the... No, that's way too far back. All right. So anyway, I was born and raised Jewish and it's reformed Jewish. And and so we, we did a lot of the ceremonies and ritualism that, you know, one would learn and expect. You know, grew up in, in Northern Virginia and uh, it was, you know, for me, it was kind of just your normal upbringing. But at a very, very, very young age... Uh, I was introduced to something that, you know, a lot of boys get introduced to, uh, you know, I would say the majority nowadays, and it kind of shaped and formulated my thinking. And it became something that I very quickly on an impressionable young mind got addicted to. Struggled throughout my entire life. I, I, I brought it into our marriage uh, to, you know, to my lovely wife. Uh, and I talked about how I met her on our previous encounter with, uh, with Brian Gadawa. So uh, if you want to listen to the very hilarious uh, encounter of my first time going to a church, you can check out the episode with, uh, with Brian Gadawa. And then with that said, I got caught, which was the best thing that ever could have happened. And that really started my road to recovery uh, and, you know, getting into the right mind and headspace being a Christian. And so it was late one night while my, while my wife and I were house sitting. And it was right after a really huge breakthrough in my, in my recovery and my Christian faith. I spoke aloud a lot of the things that, you know, that I've done and I repented of them. And, you know, my wife and I, we went to bed thinking really nothing of it until I woke up 
in the middle of the night. It was about 3 a.m., which, hey, a lot of this time, it, you know, a lot of times it happens about 3 a.m. And I woke up and right above the bed hovering was this inky black cloud. Right in the middle of that cloud, it had these red glowing eyes and it was looking right at me. And so this is this was my first encounter with the supernatural. And, you know, for those who haven't figured it out yet, this was my first encounter with what's called a shadow person in the secular world. In in the Christian worldview, we know what these things are. And so this thing, it was looking right at me. I was petrified in fear. I, I could not move. You know, it's funny, you know, it, around this time, I'm seeing this, this author, Vicki Joy Anderson, and, and her book about shadow people making its circle in, in the podcast community at this point in time right now. And, uh, you know, They Come Out at Night is the title of her book, and it's about the enemy's weapon, which is sleep paralysis. And that's, that's kind of what I encountered. I could not move. And so I, I wanted to turn to my wife and like shake her awake. I couldn't. I was locked, but I was aware and awake and seeing this thing above our bed. So I, I didn't know what to do. And it's at that point in time that this thing spoke. I'm talking like deeper than James Earl Jones on his best day voice. Uh, it, it said, I am not done with you yet. And so, of course, I was more petrified. <laughs> and it's at that point that I started to just sputter the name of our Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And it took me like three or four times to get it out. When I did, it growled. It did not like that at all. And it dissolved away. I, one minute was there. The next, it dissolved away and was gone. I could move again. It was the only time that I ever like full body sweat through a bed. And I shook my wife uh, awake. Uh, she, bless her heart, changed the sheets at three o'clock in the morning while I showered. And I realized at this very, very tumultuous point in my life that if the enemy was willing to go to that length to get to me, especially after this pivotal point in my walk, then the inverse is true that God loves me so much that he is willing to provide a way out of that scenario. That night, my faith was solidified. I knew everything was real and I needed to know more because I never wanted to feel that helpless ever again. <laughs> that was my firsthand account with the supernatural and it shaped the rest of my life. Wow. That is wild, unbelievable, but believable <laughs> and extremely common. Yeah. In the sense that a lot of people experience similar, similar things and they just write it off because it doesn't fit within the paradigm of their, their worldview or just doesn't fit in their paradigm. You know what I mean? Oh yeah. I mean, after that day, I, I kind of went searching for, for answers really. And even if you just use a basic search engine and type in shadow people, 
you will see the secular world's point of view is like, oh, there's these things. It's really quite mysterious. There are these different types. Some have hats, some don't have hats. Some only appear as the top half of the body. Some appear like misty and smoky. Some of them talk, some of them don't. But it's a common phenomenon that nobody talks about because it's weird. Look, I mean, I think it's Dr. Mike Heiser that says if it's weird and it's in the Bible, it's important. Well, I was trying to kind of tie because I knew what this was. I was a Christian when this happened, albeit I wasn't really far along enough into my walk. I knew that this was biblical. I always believed that there was a God, but I needed to kind of find out more. And so when you go through these search engines and you see this secular point of view, the invariable truth of the matter is that they all say, well, we don't know what this is or why it happens. Okay. But look, um, if you believe in a spiritual world, then you know exactly what this is. And I knew why it happened. And so that's kind of where two and two equaled four to me. And so I really didn't start connecting more dots until I went to freedom worship center. Uh, which is a non-denominational church in Warrington, Virginia. The pastor there, uh, his name is Derek Rawlings. And he told me, you know, after this you know, really good sermon, that if I wanted to learn more, I needed to do two things. First is start listening to Trey Smith's God in a Nutshell, which is who you had on you know, recently. And uh, the other thing was start picking up Derek and Sharon Gilbert's got uh, Derek and Sharon Gilbert's works, be it books, be it whatever broadcasts they have and uh, be sure to tie everything back to Jesus, of course, but you know, this can kind of enhance your knowledge. And this put me down a rabbit hole into biblical archeology span and Nephilim and all these things that you see on the in, in the circles that, you know, we go through. And my eyes were, for lack of a better term, opened to the spiritual warfare that is going on at a daily basis. And things just started connecting more and more. What was interesting to me personally is that this all tied in perfectly with any of the plot holes that I had in the stories that I was writing. When it comes to this dark shadow shadow person demon who was hovering over my bed i knew that this well the bed of the person we were house watching um i knew that this was going to be the antagonist in the story that i was writing and so i finally found with all the dots connecting together my calling and felt the compulsion that i believe was divinely inspired as to what i should do which was create a Christian fantasy or fiction tale that incorporates all of the spiritual warfare elements, but for a middle to high school grade and up, introducing all of this, all of these elements to someone at a younger age. And that's really what birthed the Darkness Overcome series.
write The Rise of Light? Is that is that the first book that you wrote? Yes. Currently, there are two books out. There's the, there's the Rise of Light, which is the first novel, and then The Rise of Hope, which is the second one. The Rise of Truth will be the third book in the trilogy, and uh, that is currently going through its final edits right now. Nice. Can you walk us through the basic story of The Rise of Light? Yeah, absolutely. Um, so the series revolves around this young gentleman named Leon Rise. You know, he had troubled upbringing, uh, but he went off to join the military in this fantasy kingdom. And so things went awry during his service. And when he came home, unfortunately, his family didn't really have as welcoming of a reception as he wanted. And so he was tossed out. In that process, he obtains this artifact. And it's this very, very old, very mysterious spear. And when he, you know, starts getting visions and dreams, you know, he, he is introduced to this forgotten god known as Adonai. And he starts learning things about Adonai. And he is called to become a hero in this in this fantasy world, which in in this world, the heroes are known as judges. And so here we kind of introduce a little bit more biblical archetypes, terms, and I, I got to incorporate some of the Jewish culture, Jewish background, some Old Testament lore into this fantasy setting. And he is called to bring the knowledge of this forgotten God, this Adonai, back to this world. Well, the thing that really complicates all of this is that this is the last living kingdom in the world that is currently going through a zombie apocalypse or an undead apocalypse. So take the book of judges, take a undead apocalypse and take some biblical themes and some humor and you've got the darkness overcome series. And so he meets these characters along the way and they learn about these plots, these truths and some plots behind the scenes that really make or break this world. And so it's a very fun fantasy tale, very good fantasy adventure. And uh, I hope that the readers sincerely enjoy it. Yeah, I know. I know I am. I, uh, I started it recently and, and yeah, it's great. I mentioned on the episode that, that we did recently with Brian and you that it has this Firefly feel just a little bit for me and i i loved that that series and so i love i love the essence there i don't know if that was inspiration for you at all and this is christian in the christians be considered sci-fi right yeah sci-fi fantasy i mean it i know that uh, the two big names that you see when it comes to faith-based fantasy are tolkien and lewis and uh, while Tolkien was a little bit more covert with some of his themes, Lewis was a little bit more overt, you know, with Aslan being Jesus. With the Rise of Light and, and the Darkness Overcome series, um, we actually have Bible verses as an index in the back of the book, just like Mr. Gadawa. And, you know, you, you do have scripture woven throughout the story, uh, you know, especially in some of the dreams and the visions that Leon has. 
And so this is more so of a spiritual two by four to the head when it comes to uh, scripture being incorporated into a fantasy series. But again, I mean, this is for middle and high school grade and, and up. So, I mean, for, for the kids who aren't regularly going to church or in a church setting or religious setting or religious upbringing, this, I think, is a great way as an intermediary to introduce biblical knowledge and terms. In fact, the one verse that really drove me to, uh, you know, okay, Max, let's start writing this all down is Hosea 4, 6. And if I may, um, with the uh, Lexham English Bible version, my people are destroyed for a lack of knowledge. Because you have rejected knowledge, I reject you from acting as a priest for me. And since you have forgotten the law of your God, I will also forget your children. I read this and it hit me like a freight train. I really wanted to make sure that my kids know what I knew, had that biblical worldview, because there's not a lot of people out there that do now. And so I more so don't want kids to grow up not having this knowledge. And so I figured that this fantasy series would be a good intermediary. You can introduce these biblical concepts. Hey, there's, there's Bible verses throughout it. Let's go to the Bible. Let's go to the word and read what the rest of it says. I love that. Yeah, man. If, if I had kids in that age range, this would definitely be something that I would, that I would want them or encourage them to, to read. Are there any plans for the future for any like graphic novels? I feel like, I feel like graphic novels with this story would be, would be pretty awesome. I, it is all conjecture and pipe dream at the moment. I'm going to know, I know one very particularly talented artist who has not agreed to anything at this point, but I'd love to work with them. I do know that the, uh, the audiobooks are being planned for 2023 for all three books. My, I, I read to my wife every single night before we go to bed. And so I've got character voices down. Uh, I'm pretty sure I have the cadence down for the books and I'm, I'm rip roaring ready to go. I love that, dude. I prefer audiobooks these days just because I do, I do a lot of driving. And so it's something I can, I can pop on and, and listen to, you know, when I'm on the highway or I'm driving around. So I'm definitely looking forward to that. Although I am going to have a lot of downtime, so to speak on my hands. I've got, we've got the holidays coming up. So I'm looking forward to, to cranking the rest of your book out over the course of the next few weeks and some others, Brian Gadawa's I want to read conspiracy theory by Doug Van Dorn. I hear that's a, a really interesting read, but audiobooks are my jam, man. I absolutely love them. So I'm looking, I'm looking forward to that. Yeah. Max, what, what have been like your favorite books, you know, growing up or even now, like what's inspired you? Are you like a Frank Peretti fan? I know I really like those books a lot. Frank Peretti is, is a great author when it comes to spiritual warfare. A lot of my inspirations are on books that, you know, I read growing up. And so I, I didn't really have the, uh, the Christian worldview that I do now when I grew up Jewish. And so some of the inf- inspiration I have is secular. Um, so things like David Eddings, for example, he was a huge influence for me more so than I think, you know, Tolkien and Lewis, 
I read his books until they fell apart. So there's a couple of homages in these in this book series to David Evans, Hitchhiker's Guide to the Galaxy, that you know by Douglas Adams. Having that small humorous spin is something that I really wanted to incorporate. And anyone who you know follows me on social media knows that I create the occasional meme, much like Meme Queen Tori. And so, you know, having that humorous spin was was definitely important to me as well. But you know, the biggest influence on this series, I think, really is the Bible, because the characters in the Darkness Overcome series have their flaws, but a lot of them also are based on biblical archetypes. It's so like, you know, one character you'll find is very much so the woman and woman at the well, uh, who's been in relationship after relationship after relationship and nothing has worked. And I wanted to incorporate these biblical archetypes and mesh them with the hardest backgrounds that we as Christians evangelize to. So for example, how can you evangelize to someone who has maybe gone through abuse or is a satanic ritual abuse survivor? Um, How do you evangelize to someone who has had personal loss uh, in their family and blames God for their issues, not knowing that there is certainly another entity or several entities that you could blame beyond your own actions. Those are the the influences that, you know, this is definitely a character driven story kind of shaped this world and how they progress through it. Yeah. I think it's really cool. I mean, I know a lot of people who Christians even who need to hear about a lot of this stuff in the old Testament, because most of us who grew up, you know, in the Christian church grew up, like, oh, the Old Testament doesn't really matter. Let's focus on the New Testament, you know? And so I go back and try to have these conversations with friends or, you know, guy friends, and they they just think it's weird and they have, like, no interest in it. But it's, like, everyone... Uh, well, I said guy friends specifically because I feel like a lot more of them are into, like, sci-fi or, like, fantasy novel, you know? Like, I don't really know what the genre is because, honestly, I don't read a lot of those, but I'm going to read yours. But, um, you know, those, like, adventure books, and I feel like guys especially really want adventure, you know? And so it's, like, Everyone might not want to go sit down and read through the Old Testament, but like everyone loves a good story. So I think this is a really cool ministry, just career path in general. Well, thank you. Yeah, no, I mean, especially nowadays, I think with so much with fantasy and sci-fi having such a resurgence, I mean, Marvel, DC movies, you have, uh, you know, Lord of the Rings, you know, kind of coming back with it, you know, that series you have. Yeah, Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones. But for a lot of popular culture nowadays, you invariably run across something that does not mesh with a biblical worldview. And so I'm going to pick on Game of Thrones for a second here. You can't go through an episode without seeing skin or, you know, vulgar language. And hey, look, you know, some people that might bounce right off. You certainly pause and think, you know what, should I see this with my kid? Should I enjoy this with my kid? Should I introduce them to this? A lot of parents would say no. And so I wanted to have a clean fiction story that is biblically based, that does introduce these concepts that we are familiar with. You know, so the things that you find in biblical archaeology, you know, the Mount Hermon rebellion, things that, you know, we've learned along the way, 
how can we introduce this to a younger generation? Uh, a generation so that they become more knowledgeable and Hosea 4, 6, you know, that, that God doesn't forget them due to our lack of knowledge or parents' lack of knowledge. You mentioned when you started to do a deep dive, you mentioned getting into like trace Smith stuff, uh, biblical, did you, you said biblical archaeology or anthropology? Uh, archaeology, anthropology. I mean, look, I, I came across the, uh, you know, Dr. Judd Burton and a lot of his works. And so having the idea and the concept that these you know, creatures that we would think are once mythological actually existed was, you know, for me as a fantasy nerd, uh, you know, a little far-fetched, but not to the capacity of like, oh, this is ridiculous. You know, how, how does that work? How does it apply? I wanted to know. And so did a little bit of research and, you know, find, oh, look, dragons, giants, you know, vampires, all of these things really aren't so, so far-fetched at all. It just need to keep an open mind and see all the different historical accounts of dragons that are separate. So I, I think it's St. George and the dragon, uh, which is, is the account with Brachiosaur. I think it was not quite sure which, which dinosaur it was. But, you know, that's just one example. Uh, you have Quetzalcoatl, which you'll see an example of that, uh, you know, feathered dragon in book two of the series, different dragon myths all throughout the world. Well, how can they connect? Well, they can connect with this, uh, Nakash Seraph, uh, you know, description that you can see in the Bible. And so things like, you know, vampires, blood drinkers, again, you know, your pies are safe from Tory. No blood is, is going to be in there that you're going to drink. <laughs> Having, you know, these, these Hebrew, uh, you know, what, what is it called in Hebrew? It's an aluka, which you see in the book series. How can these things be in the world make sense from an historical point of view? And it's doing that research, which I thought was rather fun. But the danger that I found that I think a lot of people find is that you can go down all these little rabbit holes but you also need to be able to tie it back to Christ because look, I, I, I like researching these things all day long, but if you don't bring it back to why Christ came, which was yes, to save us. Absolutely. But it was also to destroy the works of the enemy. I think that's first John three. He came to destroy the works of the enemy, which it was that corrupting of seed. It's that, machination of all these pantheons of, of, you know, false gods and, and fallen entities. That's also what he came to do. And so if you don't tie it back to that, you can really go deep down that rabbit hole and it'll be a lot tougher to pull yourself out. Yeah. It's really good. When I think about these books that you're writing, 
And we talked a little bit about the culture war with, with Brian Gadawa and how believers need to be involved in not imitating culture, but I think creating culture. So do you see these stories that you're writing, these books that you're writing as you actively engaging in spiritual warfare so much as what you're writing being something that's going to be pointing readers to Christ. Absolutely. And so, I mean, I'm, I'm going to you know, plug my book series and say, Hey, look, you know, if you want to learn more about all of this spiritual warfare and how, especially with like, you know, Ephesians putting on the armor of God and, and uh, the, the fruit of the spirit, how to incorporate all of that into your warfare absolutely read my book series. I think they're great. Um, and I think it can certainly, you know, help from a inspirational aspect outside of the book series. Uh, I really want to credit my spouse, you know, crystal who in tandem with me, we go out and we pray for people. We, we, you know, try to, you know, help with whatever deliverance ministry that there might be. I was really inspired by, uh, Rust is and, and his works because the man, the man didn't sit down for it, a day. It seemed, uh, every single day he was always doing something. And so I, I, I hope to aspire to that level of commitment in every day, winning souls for the kingdom every day, engaging in that spiritual warfare, both in the book series and in my normal life. That's awesome. Um, so where, where can people find your, your stuff? Um, you can find it on my own webpage, maxbsternberg.com. Uh, you can find it on Amazon. If you are subscribed to Kindle Unlimited, the books are free on Kindle Unlimited, uh, but you can have them in paperback, hardcover. Again, the audiobooks are going to be released later on as well. Now, before you, Tori, or I start getting emails, oh, you partner with Amazon. The situation of it is really simple. Amazon is 80% of the market share. And so I had to make the executive decision. Do I want to handicap this book series reach uh, for, for potentially helping people who have questions be drawn towards the book series, getting answers and, you know, potentially going to the Bible. I elected. No, I, I wanted to make sure that this has as far reach as possible. And so that's why I chose Amazon. Well, I mean, say what you want for about, you know, the evils of large corporations. Amazon employs a lot of people. So listen, we, we live in a fallen world. And I agree with you. The, the pros outweigh the cons. Right. When, when, you know, you're looking at that, I think you're going to have a much greater impact there than not. And I think that's one of the other reasons why, I mean, you spoke before about, you know, potentially having graphic novels. Well, this book series, you know, it, right now, as of this moment, it is self-published. And the simple reason why is because I want to make sure that in case a contract does come along or somebody comes along and says, Hey, this would be great is like an animated series on Disney. I really want to control the content so that the things that are included in my book series can stay there. And so, being part of a, a huge publication like, you know, uh, Random House or Penguin, for example, you can't do that for the hundreds of people who write, you know, hundreds of manuscripts for 
uh, you know, holiday movies uh, and, and holiday channels like Hallmark. And, you know, things get switched all the time. And so I wanted to make sure I controlled this content so that the spiritual warfare, the, the weirdness of spiritual warfare does not get taken out because it's important for us to know. Max, do you have anything that is on your heart that you'd like to say to our listeners? Buy my books, please. No. Um, yes. I, I lo- <laughs> if there's one thing that I love, it's, it's the cohesiveness and uh, just collective drive of this community of believers that I've rapidly become I- immersed in. And so, you know, for people who, who listen to Camp Herman podcast, Look, I, I would I would love your support. Uh, I'd love if you support this podcast because it's it's a great great facilitator of you know answering tough questions and and you know talking to people who have amazing testimonies. But if you're looking for something enjoyable for yourself or for your family or for your middle or high school kid, the Darkness Overcome series might be something worth looking into. Especially if you wanted that that fantastical story. But we're worried about you know all the all the skin and sin on on mainstream media. It has five star reviews. It has an average of of four point seven to four point nine out of five on both books. Uh, I really think it could be something that could give an entertaining story while also allowing you to engage a little bit more with cho- with your children on uh, topics that really need discussing. I love it, man super stoked for 2023 uh, for the audiobook. It's an amazing story. You have an amazing voice. Put those two together and it's just going to be a good time. Me yeah, sitting in my car driving, listening to The Rise of Light. I absolutely love it. Brother, we appreciate you. Guys, Max Sternberg, author. I would call you the meme king because you you are rivaling Tori with your memes. You really are. Every so often, I get a good idea. <laughs> Let's call it divine inspiration. We'll, we'll leave it at that. Yeah, guys, uh, find Max Sternberg on Facebook if if you want to, you know, just get some some fantastic memes in your life. Uh, follow him on Facebook, and you'll you'll see where he drops those. Uh, Max, we appreciate you coming on, brother. You know, thank you very much for having me. It's once again, it's an honor. And you know, Tori, you know, Chris, thank you very much for your time. I really do appreciate it. Oh my gosh, thank you for coming on. We're honored. Judd, I just wanted to take just a little bit of time, maybe 15, 20 minutes max, to address this idea that Eve had sex with the serpent in the garden and that Cain is a direct physical descendant of the serpent. And one of the arguments that's made for that case comes from the word beguiled 
in, and I forget what, what verse that is. Um, yeah. Chapter three, verse 13. Okay. Three thirteen, And in the Strong's concordance, it's number 1818. So some people take that seduction to mean a physical sexual seduction. What, what say you on that? The word there is nasha. It literally means to lie or, or deceive or beguile. Seduction is one of the potential definitions, but it's not a sexual seduction. It's the, the idiom that it's a, a moral or philosophical seduction. Okay. And so, I mean, that's, that's pretty clear there, right? What, another argument that some have made regarding this idea is that the reason why Adam and Eve covered up their genitalia when they realized that they were naked was because they had sinned sexually with the serpent, whether it was Eve having sex or some weird, weird threesome between the serpent, Eve and Adam. But that's why they're covering up their genitalia is because it was a sexual sin. Well, again, this, this is another argument that's really sort of dead on arrival. When you look at this in context and look at the language, that's an artificial correlation to begin with. In the passage, look at what Adam and Eve are eating, what Eve eats first and then shares with her husband. Where is the fruit from? It's from the tree of what? It's a tree of uh, knowledge of good and evil. Knowledge of good and evil, exactly. So we're right back to this being a, a seduction involving knowledge, involving the moral, involving philosophical. And what it is is a, a stark realization. Again, there's no you can't read a sexual connotation into this. The reason that they cover themselves up is because they're instantly made aware of the difference between the finite what they are and the infants because they had broken this law that God had given them. They become immediately overwhelmed by their condition and God's condition. Whereas before that they had conversed with God and had fellowship with God and God. And this, this infraction breaks that. the correlation is forced here that they were using, you know, something to cover up their, their private parts. Now they instantly realize what those are, it's like, it's like instant modesty, you know, oh no, I'm vulnerable, you know, and I'm really vulnerable. That That's really what's going on in that passage. It's still not, not a sexual issue. Okay. How about in the curse that's given the, the seed of Satan is cursed. So could not the only way that he could have have seed is if he had had a sexual relationship with Eve. No, because, I, I mean, certainly we know that, that angels can, I mean, even if we're talking about the same kind of entity here, the word used is nakash, which means serpent. But clearly, this is not some talking snake that, that Eve is conversing. We, we know, that, like from the Genesis 6 material, uh, that they appropriated and had these, had these offspring that were hybrids, after all, giants, whose spirits, interestingly enough, after the flood, become demons. But there's no... There's no sense of this being a line that's created by, again, a, a sexual act between Eve and this entity, the Nakash, the serpent. If we use scripture to interp interpret scripture, if that, that should be our first hermeneutic anyway, right? That should be our first interpretive tool. So like in, in the New Testament, you know, when John is writing his letters, he's chastising a group for being 
well, you're uh, you're of your father the devil because you're lying. That's his that's his native tongue. Well, he's not literally saying that they're they're physically physical offspring of the devil, especially because this is a the New Testament period. But he's talking about being again. We're at that issue of being morally deceived, being philosophically deceived, being deceived on the basis of knowledge and what groups and, and individuals are willing to follow. I mean, the precedent and the broader scope of the argument is within Scripture. And so, again, the, the argument should really should really be dead on arrival. Okay, that makes sense. Now, what about how Eve was cursed through, as far as the pain and childbirth? Some people would say that if we're looking at the Mosaic law, eye for an eye, tooth for a tooth, the punishment should fit the crime. Some people would say, keeping that in mind, that Eve's being cursed reproductively, so to speak, because the sin had to do with her reproductive organs, i.e. having sex with the serpent. Well, again... If you look at, you could, I suppose you could make a very, very loose yet errant interpretation along those lines. But this is still, this this punishment is still in line with um, that's fit in sort of an eye for an eye way. But it's, again, it's not a reproductive sexual thing, although it deals with, with having pain in childbirth. One of the things that's interesting about modern humans is that infant's skull size is larger because of the neurological development. Well, what happens when they eat the fruit? They instantly gain this knowledge, or I don't know how much time it took, but in the narrative, it's pretty pretty quick. It's a quick development. So that's naturally going to, if, if the infant has a larger cranium, then yeah, that's going to hurt quite a bit more than an, other animals birthing their infants. Uh, because just just proportionate wise, their skulls tend to be smaller and narrower. Oh wow, that's wild. That is wild. I yeah, I n- never thought about it that way, but that's pretty wild. Okay, now here we go. Every time I I come up with one of these points, I feel like I have a smoking gun, and you just like you just cr- you just crush it. What about Cain's name and what it means? Does it not mean something like acquired, like Adam acquired Cain? Is that the meaning of Cain? Am I right there? Well, something something like that. Right. Okay. Well, it, I mean, it, it makes a lot of sense that he's an acquisition in terms of of being birthed, right, of Adam and Eve. So he's an acquisition in that sense. But look at the, the what the line of Cain does anyway. He's he's really amongst the first people after Eden to begin this implementation of watcher knowledge. What I, and what I'm talking about is is not only through Cain, but also through you know, his his direct descendants. You know, they're building these cities. They're building, you know, the language and I think it's in chapter four, just as chapter four, is such that they're building these fortified encampments. At, at the very least, they're like fortified encampments. So he, he is acquiring and gathering unto himself his own society own empire proto-empire it's another example of what biblical names often do often link to the destiny of that individual that's being named whereas like abel breath of life we see cain kind of turning his back on god and and acquiring for himself so 
Adam acquires a son, it doesn't mean that he acquired him because his wife had sex with someone else. And now because that's his wife, that's has to be his son. It means he acquired a son through the birth, but there's that added meaning of Cain acquiring for himself. Is that what you're saying? Yeah. And that's kind of in line with what we know about Cain's demeanor, right? I mean, he's jealous of the favor that's bestowed on Abel because Abel offers the best. He offers the best of what he has as far as first fruits. And the impression we get from reading about Cain is that he just sort of willingly says, well, you know, here's what I, we don't get the impression that this is his best. It's, you know, that it's the first, that it's the best. And he's immediately jealous of the favor that Abel has. So that kind of demeanor that to take take what Abel had, not only take what Abel had, but take his life. You know, it seems to be part of the the destiny of, of his name. Gotcha. Well, that's all, that's all I've got. I mean, you, you pretty much uh, shot holes in all of those points. So if ever I was, it's an interesting idea, you know, and I can see how you could get that from a superficial reading of, of the text. But, you know, again, at the end of the day, if you really examine the language in, in context, and compare it with other passages of scripture, it really just doesn't hold water. Yeah. And in my mind, it's not even necessary. It's not necessary. Some people might say that, well, it's necessary because this is where what starts the lineage of the the hybrids, the giants. It doesn't have to start there. We've got Genesis six that explains that perfectly. Yeah, it's it's another example of brutalizing the text, you know. That's really the end of the argument. It's the same thing with, with words like Nephilim. You know, it, it's clarified in, in so many ways that you're not talking about just heroic men, you know, men who have gigantic personalities or reputations or whatever. But when you compare it to related languages like Aramaic, you get Nephilim, which is the, the word giant. That's the first definition for it. And then what the Septuagint is with those words it clarifies it because clearly we were talking about giants just let the language say what it says don't call it a plain reading what you're guilty of is is if you do that you you've you've committed probably the most horrific historical crime which is to which is presentism to project all this later stuff onto the context of the passage the words in question and that's that's a big no-no Although under the auspices of postmodernism, it seems to be the norm <laughs> sciences these days, but it, it's it's really it's really disingenuous. Yeah, I mean it, it seems to me if you're if you're using strongs, um, you can you can go deeper. There's plenty of like you mentioned the notes and the the, the different commentaries that you have we have uh, available to us. You don't have to be a linguist to do a fairly deep dive, especially now, like with the Logos Bible software. There's so many resources at our fingertips. Oh gosh, there's there's that. There's there's basically every hammer and commentary that's come into the public domain. Uh, it, it's ridiculously easy to find a polyglot Bible. There's so many resources out there that can help you look into this. There are papers that are written. In a conversational tone, there are some that are just, you know, nuts and bolts, scholarly papers. Dr. Heiser has written written on this topic a number of times, very clear reasons for believing some of the things that we've outlined today. Um, there's a scholar named Scott 
Layton, who wrote a paper about what we're discussing here, the serpent seed. So, the, I mean, you really search away. If you treat the internet like a labyrinth and not like a crutch, you can find a lot of resource material. Yeah. I like that. A library, not a crutch. That's fantastic. All right. Well, I think uh, I think we put the last nail in the coffin there. You, you did a great job of summing that up. Thank you so much. We needed to clarify this. Quite welcome. Well, don't don't thank me. Thank the other scholars who've done the work on the language. I will. I will thank them indeed. Uh, <laughs> all right, Dr. Judd, thank you so much for this. Pleasure. All right, guys. Thank you for listening to another episode of the Camper Mom podcast. Peace. Peace.